Welcome, folks, to Brand of Man Ministries, building one disciple at a time for the cause of Christ, not through any work of man, but by the grace of God alone. I'm Pastor Will Hunsaker, and today we begin Season 3. Open your Bibles with the continuation of Paul's letter to the Galatians, beginning in chapter 4. Now, let's do a quick recap of what we have learned up to this point from Paul's letter to the Galatians. We know that this letter was to all the churches in Galatia, not just one. So it's a circular letter. It's meant to circulate throughout a region. It was written by the Apostle Paul, who planted the first church in Galatia a region we now know as Turkey. We know that Paul was appointed as an apostle, uh, an emissary sent out to the Galatians by the risen Christ, specifically by him, not by any other apostle. The reason for this letter was to push back on those who were teaching a false message of Christ to the Galatians. It was a weak and perverted gospel. As far as Paul was concerned, it wasn't even a gospel at all. So Paul refers to these folks as Judaizers. They taught that you were saved by faith in Christ, and and that's the key word. They taught that you were saved by faith in Christ and obedience to law and tradition. So consequently, The theme of Paul's letter stresses that we are saved only by God's grace through our faith in Christ, never by any work of our own. Our work doesn't even make us righteous. It is but filthy rags to God. We simply cannot earn God's grace. He gives it freely and at his good pleasure because he alone is sovereign. Now, in chapter four, We find Paul continuing his argument, his reasoning for the superiority of God's grace over the work of man. He really can't get too much of this. But this time he's going to do it from the point of view of the Jews. So here's the words of Paul. We'll go right to the text. Think of it this way, Paul says, If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they're actually owners of everything the father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. So there's a condition there. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us, who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now, you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. Since you are his child, God has made you his heir. That's Galatians 4, verses 1 through 7. So the idea Paul is expressing in these verses supports the theme of Galatians, that it is God's grace that saves us, not our obedience. 
God sent his son. God made his heirs. He purchased us. So to illustrate his point, Paul uses some features of traditional Jewish or Roman childhood as an example of our spiritual immaturity growing up under the law. He's doing a comparison. Children in a, in a family are essentially slaves to a parent under this system. There are slaves to the parent, the guardian, the caretaker, depending on the circumstance, until they reach adulthood, even though they're heirs to the entire state. Note what Paul emphasizes in verse 2, pretty much the same thing. He says, they have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age the father set. That's a definitive statement. They have to obey their guardians until they reach Whatever age the father set, that's Galatians 4, verse 2. So this is a a direct reference to Roman law, which Paul and the Galatians would be very familiar with. This is a little historical context for you. He's using these things that they would already know. Paul was a Roman citizen and Galatia was a Roman province. But Paul is using this to support the principle that before Christ came, we, we're in this same spiritual condition of infancy. We believed we had to be perfectly obedient to God to earn his favor, which, by the way, is correct. So, so scripture teaches throughout all the covenants of the Old Testament that in order to be righteous before God, perfect obedience is required. Don't hit the stop button. Stay with me on this. I'm not teaching salvation through works. I'm giving you context of how God unveiled his plan of redemption. So according to scripture, once again, in order to be found righteous before a holy and just God, perfect obedience is required. God is perfect. The obedience has to be perfect. This actually began in the garden with Adam. I'll read you that text from Genesis 2. It says, The Lord planted the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Genesis 2, 15 through 17. Now, just a note there. One of the trees in the garden was a tree of life. That's eternal life. Adam was free to eat that. He had it pretty good with one condition. Don't eat the tree. Don't eat of the tree, the fruit of the tree, with the knowledge of good and evil. He failed. Perfect obedience failed. Now, this was a deliberate act by God in the unfolding of his plan for our redemption. He revealed through the Old Testament covenants the importance of perfect obedience to his laws. You just saw an example of it. So Paul continues in verse 3. He said, and that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. Galatians 4 Verse 3. Then what happens is we reach a very critical turning point. When the covenant laws, all of them, 
emphasizing obedience, sacrifice, ritual, tradition. They had all accomplished everything God wanted them to accomplish. You're looking at a period of 1,500 years. So what did he do? They'd accomplished all they were going to accomplish. He built upon those covenants another covenant. Whenever one of God's covenants had accomplished its purpose, he always advanced another. They always move together the same. They're always the same plan of redemption, just exposing more of the covenant. A good illustration, uh, uh, illustration of this is often used is the progression of the covenants in the growing of an oak tree. Take an acorn, for example, you plant it. That would be essentially the covenant of Adam. This is where it all begins. And it's preserved in the soil through the covenant with Noah. It begins to grow and becomes a sapling. So you're seeing more of the tree in the covenant with Abraham. It grows further in the covenant with Moses. And in the covenant with David, it becomes a small tree. You, you can recognize it. Then at a time of God's choosing, God's choosing, the covenants were made complete when he sent his son with a new and final covenant that would be sealed in his blood. Folks, it's the same tree. It's the same plan. It began as a young, immature acorn, and now is fully grown as a mighty oak in Jesus Christ. Same tree, same plan, just exposing more and more as it goes along. Jesus made this very point, this same point, very clear during uh, the Passover meal that he shared with his disciples just prior to him being crucified. He said this. Now, this is during. The uh, traditional Passover meal, so a cup is being passed around. And he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. That's Luke twenty-two twenty. So we're moving from the infancy that Paul uses of the old covenant laws to the adulthood of a new covenant of God's grace, which is superior. So Jesus, his coming was not random, or was it impetuous? Instead, his coming was right on time. God's plan was exactly where he wanted it. The covenants had run their course. The Roman era had brought relative peace to the world. They called that Pax Romana, the the peace of Rome. Roman military power controlled the land and the sea. People could travel with ease and and relative safety. The Greek language spread throughout the known world, simplifying communication and, and, and trade. Along with this came an abundance of new philosophies and religions, causing a widespread spiritual hunger and thirst for something genuine. Then we read Paul write in verse 4 that God had already decided this would be the time. Paul writes, But when the right time came, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. That's Galatians 4.4. So God sent the second of the Godhead into the world to face the same temptations we all face. And he was born under the law. The law that had been established through the covenants that only he could keep in perfection. The covenant promise of the coming of a redeemer 
that began in Genesis 3.15, immediately following the failure of Adam, would eventually succeed in Christ. Why did God do this? Because of his grace, which is superior to everything. Paul writes in verse 5, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Galatians 4 verse 5. Each believer is an heir to the promise God gave to Abraham by a covenant that through his seed, all the nations would be blessed, all the nations of the world. No matter if you are Jew or Gentile, regardless of law or tradition. And what is this blessing? What would we be blessed by? It is an inheritance as heirs to the kingdom of God, sealed with the Spirit of Christ that indwells all who believe. And Paul finally continues, and because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, sealing us, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. Now, why did God send the spirit of his son into our hearts? Because perfect obedience is the only way to be righteous before God. His obedience was imputed to us. And the covenants show us that we cannot obey his laws perfectly. So we have been sealed with the spirit of Christ into a new covenant with God. We have entered a new covenant, a new agreement, a new oath with God through faith, whereby his grace, his son purchased the righteousness that we could never attain. And he did so with his perfect obedience. So you can clearly see in these verses today that Paul's argument is directed at those who once followed Jewish law and tradition. They're now disciples of Christ, heirs to the kingdom of God, and claim a close personal relationship with the Father. No, no follower of Christ or tradition as a means of salvation has this kind of relationship with God. Because the relationship Paul refers to is built on the foundation of our redemption through God's grace and not our works. This is very important for us today. Very important. Paul emphasizes that the believers in Galatia and all believers today are no longer slaves to laws, rituals, or traditions, but heirs to the kingdom of God because of the perfect obedience of Christ. So yeah, you're saved by perfect obedience, but not your own. Law and tradition, folks are mere reflections of spiritual childhood. Grace is the progression into adulthood. Why then would an adult revert, revert back to being a child? God has sent his son to bring us the gospel, the euangelion, that's what it means in the Greek, the good news it means, from God. Do you know what that word was typically used for, euangelion? It's a Greek word. Runners used it returning from battles of ancient times with news that the king had won. It was a declaration of joy 
The battle was over. The king was victorious. This is the good news. The euangelion, the gospel that God sent to the world in Jesus Christ. We're made righteous through him, nothing else. So when we proclaim the gospel, when we preach the gospel, when we evangelize, we do so as heirs to the kingdom of God because the kingdom is here. The king has won. The war's over. How do we know? Because God's grace is far superior to any work of man. Thank you for listening. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord look upon you and bring you peace. Next up on Open Your Bibles, we'll take a brief look at Galatians chapter 4. This time verses 8 through 11 with Paul's argument for the superiority of God's grace as it relates now to the Gentiles. God bless you all. And remember, the Bible cannot mean anything different today than it did back then.